This is UNS Talks, a podcast from the architecture and design firm UN Studio. Every few months, we like to host a breakfast with everyone in the office to discuss the issue of gender and design in an informal way, to enlighten us, to inform our work, and to make sure we are heading in the right direction. This time around, we invited Afaina de Jong to join us. Afaina is an architect, an academic, and a cultural entrepreneur who works on the boundary of art and architecture. Having taught in both TU Delft and Sandberg Institute, Afaina founded AFRI in 2005, an Amsterdam-based architectural agency that specializes in spatial design, taking an intersectional and interdisciplinary approach to design. In her talk, Afaina discusses her architectural practice, her work, her thoughts, and her issues as related to otherness, gender, and design. Enjoy. So, Like I said, uh, <clears throat> a couple of years ago, I received the question uh, if I could do a lecture about female architecture. Um, and for me, the question was like, does that even exist? You know, is there such a thing as um, your sexual identity or your gender uh, to be the same as your um, aesthetic identity, you know? Um, and I mean, kind of going from that question, for me, what developed was the idea that I think, of course, you know, like your gender or your sexuality or all your other experiences, they do inform um, your experience of the world. So in that sense, it does, of course, influence uh, your relation to space and also how you design. <coughs> um, I always use this example. It's a building by uh, Eilenberg Fraser. Uh, and... You know, like for me, it's just basically a, a big skyscraper. Um, but they were like, yeah. In the interview that I was reading about them, they, they were like, yeah, we use the building curves. Uh, because uh, I don't know if you saw the Beyonce uh, video. Um, so basically, they were inspired by Beyonce. And I thought that was just so funny that they were... At, You know, it wasn't even about <coughs> her music or what she represents as an artist, but it was really about her body, you know. And um, I, I was like, oh, wow, that's such a literal representation of kind of female form in architecture. So I just like to use this as an example, you know, because I think... If, Even Beyonce now is very much like out there, as a lot of women are now becoming way more explicit about feminism and what that means to their art or um, their creation. And so what I would like to do in this lecture is kind of explore the notion of feminism in, arch in architecture, what that can mean, what it can mean for a, as a personal, for a personally as female architect, but also for offices as a team, Uh, in a, and in a wider kind of context of, you know, our society. So um, for me, a, a feminist practice, I consider my practice to be a feminist practice. Um, I would define it as kind of a radical, critical practice in which you uh, put yourself there to encourage change, you know, um, uh, you use spatial issues, spatial techniques to kind of work on social change. Um, you're engaged to uh, accommodate differences in your work. Um, so I would say the core of a feminist practice is critical spatial practice that resists kind of social orders. 
Um, and I think we're at a very interesting point in time where we're, we're in a kind of the rebirth of feminism. We call it's called the fourth wave, um, <laughs> which is interesting because for me, I didn't even know about the first wave. I mean, maybe subconsciously there was something like, oh yeah, women were burning bras, you know, back in the 70s. But I didn't really understand what that meant. And I think now we're at an interesting point where, you know, this, this, this fourth wave, is, it's connected to technology, as we saw with the kind of Me Too movement, you know. It's, um, and it's not only about sexual harassment or gender, gender parity, you know. It's also about, the, I think, the many dimension of, dimensions of feminist struggle. Um, so this is not only sexism, it's, uh, it's also other fights of inequality, um, as for instance, related to the LGBTQI, <laughs> uh, Black Lives Matter. So it's, I think it, it, it entails a whole range of uh, social issues now. Um, and this is kind of the, 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 the idea of intersectional feminism. Uh, but I will talk about that uh, a little bit later on in more in depth. Um, I think as a general issue, we were talking about this uh, before uh, over coffee, you know, I think the, uh, the, the problems with gender issues or feminism, it's not only in architecture. I think it's, it's generally that we live in a culture um, that has long privileged men and then in particular white men. Uh, so this is really beyond the realm of uh, architecture. You know, we have it in politics, it's in our economic systems, it's in our social fabric. So it's not something that we're specifically uh, dealing with. But, I mean, if we do look at architecture, I think in the last hundred years, there is still very little equality. So I like to take always this kind of example. Um, this is uh, Lady Elizabeth uh, Willebroom. And she was an English uh, 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 aristocrat. And she's kind of the first female architect. But um, she never pra openly practiced. You know, that was not done. So what is very interesting about her is that we don't know anything. We didn't know anything. We were never taught about her. Um, but a lot of the buildings that were uh, accredited to um, Sir Christopher Wren were made by her. So he was basically ghostwriting her designs and kind of executing them for her. So it's, I thought it was just fabulous, you know. He's so, he's so critically acclaimed. He's like a pillar of English architecture. And basically there was this w woman there who was unable to do what she would do, what she was doing in the open. And then uh, next to her is Margaret uh, Kropoller. She's the first Dutch architect. I think, again, someone that I was never thought about in, uh, on the when I was studying at TU Delft. Uh, and now she's finally come to the surface. Her work is in the uh, new institute in the, in the archives. Uh, very, and, and she was also, she had an office with J.F. Stahl, you know, a very famous Dutch architect. But we don't know that. You know, the office was, was called after him. Um, and of course she practiced, but I think now we're finally coming to that point where the canon is being, um, how do you say, um, um, is, um, <laughs> we're diversifying our canon by kind of putting in the women that have been overlooked. Um, and so now we're finally starting to see the contributions that women made in architecture, you know. Um, 
So I think that is one of the issues that we're facing as a profession that now to achieve kind of some kind of equity, we have to kind of start um, amplifying and celebrating really women to counter this kind of underrepresentation. And sometimes it kind of feels in architecture that you always have that you have to be apologetic about it. It's kind of yeah, but you know, like uh, you know, it has to be on merit and the women and blah, blah, blah. but it's really like yeah, but this has been going on for decades. You know, like we have to kind of catch up to 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 show a realistic view of what has been there. Otherwise, we can't honestly understand where we're at. Um, so I think you know this whole idea of gender politics is is very healthy at this point um, because we do have to deepen our understanding of what we're what we have been taught, what we're doing. Um, so what I, w I have a couple of questions that I would like to answer today, uh, I guess, and I have time, I will be fine. So, <laughs> so my main question uh, that I would like to address in this uh, talk is kind of like, how can we as architects be, consider ourselves adept, you know, to designing for the city at this moment? Um, and the city is super diverse, like the whole world is coming to cities. So. It's not like identity, identities are super mixed, you know, like you can be anything uh, if you have the balls to. So those are the cities that we're dealing with. Um, so how can we really make good design for that? Um, well, one, we're still being educated from a very singular view. I mean, I, 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 I used to teach at, until recently at TU Delft and um, yeah, we don't teach women architects from the past like there are very few women teaching at TU Delft like I have had never had a female um, tutor when I was studying there and I'm still the only uh, woman of color so w how can we pro properly design if we're still being taught from this singular perspective um, and then two we're designing for people that are kind of the standardized little model people, you know, which is the total opposite of what we see when we walk outside. Um, so that, I think that's also a, a real, real problem, you know. Um, and then I think thirdly, of course, we're going to talk about intersectionality, uh, about feminist agency, um, and how we can achieve that within offices and also within the civic kind of sphere. So that's a lot. Uh, I thought some facts and figures, that's always good. Maybe you guys have already come across some of the facts and figures, but it's always nice. Um, I think, you know, we all agree that there is a certain extent of uh, misogyny. Uh, it's well known within the profession. We, it is well documented, but it's always nice to kind of, okay, we start off kind of 50-50 in architecture school. Then after 10 years, people start disappearing. You know, women start disappearing more specifically. So we're at kind of 10, 20%. And then in the end, what we have now is that only 17% of architecture firm principals are women. And this is globally, you know, this is not just here or in America. Um, <clears throat> and then some other things. So I, I, this, this one, I think only one of three of the 100 biggest firms are led by women. And then I think what caught me more was even that 90% of kind of the, also kind of the upper echelon is also men. So it's kind of, 
you know, the, the women that are still present, they're either kind of in the middle, kind of below the middle, or you have very few who are at the top. Um, so I think that's an issue, you know, like what happens in this, this powerful chunk of decision-making. Um, oh yeah, so this is an interesting fact. So the most, in Europe, the most, Greece has the most architects, relatively. Then Holland is one of the lowest. <laughs> Any Greeks? Yeah. Well, you say in Greece is yeah. uh, not 50 50, yeah. 80 women and 20 men. Even oh, better. Really. Yeah. I, mean, I, I was always thinking that, where are all these women? Yeah, <laughs> where do they go? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So then Holland has kind of the lowest, one of the lowest numbers. But then if we talk in absolute figures, you know, the most women are in Italy and Germany. So I don't know. Okay, good, very good. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, less than half of the women in their 30s and 40s would recommend to another young female architect to enter the profession. I mean, I think that also says a lot, you know? It, it's like, don't do it. Don't do it, girl. Do something else. Is that, yeah. Is that, do you know, yeah. Yeah. Do you look at the reason why this special, this... Uh, yeah, that's, that's I, th I think that's something that we... You know, like this is actually the point I think uh, of women who are who have decided to stay in the profession. You know, yeah. so they actually have a good inside knowledge of what goes on, and if if it's it's also an age in which you start a family, right? So, okay, we can fill in the rest. Um, yeah. So this is another point. So. I think this is this is just bad, you know. If 80% of the women in the profession feel that they can't have a child to kind of pursue their career in a positive way, um, yeah. And then sexual harassment, it is an issue. So I was really kind of shocked by a lot of these numbers. I thought they were pretty high in a way. 11% um, uh, said that they experience discrimination. Okay, I think 11%, that's still doable or something. <laughs> but <laughs> but it's, it's, it's monthly, you know, so this is really on a regular basis. Um, and then this was more a, a, a research that I saw about kind of uh, racial discrimination. And I thought it was interesting that the white respondents were, and, and the minorities as, as well, uh, it feels kind of like the white respondents said, there's no issue. The black respondents says, there is an issue. Uh, but then if we talk about some racism, so I think that's already more comfortable, then there was something going on. You know, both parties were on the same page that there is something happening in, with, inside the offices. Um, and then the Dutch figures, it's quite interesting. The, the Bureau Architecturegister, they said, look, okay, from all the women architects who are practicing, 50% are interior ar architects. So I thought, okay, so that's the reason that when I say I'm an architect, people ask me, like, okay, but what kind of architect? You're like an interior designer. <laughs> so it's, like, it's such a cliche, but I guess it's based in some kind of fact, it turned out. Um, okay, so just two images, you know, uh, there's like 60 years in between, it's Le Corbusier and his team and Big uh, with their partners. 
I thought it was interesting. You know, like it's 60 years later, it kind of feels maybe even less diverse in a way. Uh, I know they got like uh, they got a lot of criticism for this image, uh, which I thought was also kind of unfair in a way because they're not the only office that looks like this uh, with their partners. So um, I thought, yeah, you know, it's not them. It's a bigger issue that we're dealing with. Um, and then Me Too came to architecture last year. Um, and I think that is really a point that is interesting for all of us because it kind of highlights the challenges that we face. Um, the field is very wide, it's overwhelmingly male, uh, and, and we're shrinking in a way. So people are leaving the profession. So what can we do about this? Uh, when I say Me Too came to architecture, you know, uh, Richard Meyer, he became the first architect to be accused of kind of uh, acts of sexual harassment. Uh, in Harvard, they made the shitty architects uh, list, or shitty men in architect list. So, you know, I think it's, it's going to happen everywhere, you know. And um, as I will talk about later, I think it's really about kind of power dynamics. And those are also within our offices, you know. If we don't pay women enough, if men are uh, predominantly in power positions, then you have a power disbalance and then you can get these kind of, you know, you become vulnerable as an office to these kinds of tendencies. Um, yeah, so that's what I want to say about it. So, beyond the loan, genius. You know, I think this whole idea of, of that we have kind of, stimulated over decades is this lone genius who is like making amazing things by himself and it's really time i think that we have to start kind of debunking this myth you know this denise scott brown and her, her husband uh, robert venturi uh, they worked together they had an office together you know they, they they wrote the classic learning from las vegas but she is seldom accredited for the work they did um, and in such a way that it was only Robert Venturi who got the Pritzker Prize in 1991. Um, and then I think it just highlights how far we still have to go because in 2013 there was a petition submitted and they s rejected it, the Pritzker Prize. They said, no, we're not going to retroactively give her the recognition for her work, even though they designed every inch together. Um, and so the effort is ongoing. You know, last year in Venice there, there was still... Yeah, this kind of recruitment to get this petition going to get her the acknowledgement that she needs. So now uh, Venturi just passed away this week, so maybe hopefully we can get to that uh, point. But I think it really, you know, like the Pritzker Prize is such a high institution in our profession. So what does it say if they kind of refuse to do this? But then when um, when Richard Meyer, he was when he was kind of exposed as uh, doing uh, sexual harassment, you know, they did put out a comment saying, like, um, we do not comment on the personal lives of our laureates. And I think that's just really ridiculous in a way, you know, because he didn't do those acts in his personal life. It is, it, it, he harassed people in his professional life. Um, so I think it's, it's kind of strange to... Um, to valorize these acts, you know, while they happen in an architectural office, an architectural environment. Um, so I feel that is something, yeah, it's up for discussion, but it's just my thought uh, on it. Yeah. Why do you think it's 
takes women around like 20 years to remember that they were not recognized? Like, why didn't she appeal in 91? Well, I mean, let's talk about it in the end. I mean, I, I think I understand. It's, it's never happened to me, but I can understand something like that. But I think we, we can talk about it later on. And um, I'm also not saying, like, he's guilty, but, you know, that's not for me to say. I'm not a judge. Um, but yeah, there were some things happening. He stepped back, so it's not. Uh, let's let's talk about it. Later. I think it's better. But uh, it's up for discussion, definitely. So bring it back. Um, yeah. So again, you know, so this dominant narrative uh, of the soul creator, it it kind of recognizes design excellence as an individual uh, effort. You know. While we all know, as we're sitting here, that it's an office-wide achievement. So I think that's also something that needs to change in a way. It's not really this, this great one person. So um, it's undoubtedly architecture and act of teamwork. Um, and this, this kind of reality of collaborative work, I think, is something um, where we can gain if we know better to make the teams work in a, in a more democratic or equal way um so f male female partnerships are very common now i mean your your office was also based on 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 this um but i think it has also led often to kind of misattribution of the work to the male partner uh which became very blatant of course with, with the example i gave here before so in 2004 saha did becomes the first woman to receive the pritzker prize um and again, I think she's also such a good example of kind of these sexist views, you know, when she made the, the, the stadium in Qatar, people were writing, yeah, it looks like a vagina, you know, and I think that's just so blatantly sexy, sexist, because it's like, okay, so every stadium with a hole is, is a vagina, I mean... I, I feel like, and she also said it, like, would you make this comment if it was made by a man, you know? And I think she has a point there because honestly, with every skyscraper that is made, we also don't say, look, there's another phallic symbol in the sky, you know? So, <laughs> yeah. Um, so education, my first point, I, I think we're still being educated from this very singular kind of paternalistic uh, view. So, like I said, I never had a female professor. I would love to have. It's not to say that I think male white educators are not doing their job well. My dad was also a white male architect who taught me. And te well, he didn't teach me, but he did a great job. He was great. Um, but I do feel like we need a wider canon of views, you know, um, to design other strategies, uh, other experiences, uh, and to kind of make sense of this reality that we're living in. Um, and also for students to realize that the debate, the offices, the schools, the decision makers, the gatekeepers, you know, they don't, they're not meant to be kind of one-sidedly uh, and singularly uh, dominated by white men. Um, I, the same goes for our public spaces. You know, I think what, what happens when all spaces are designed by men while so many different people of walks of life, life use them? It's a very narrow understanding of space, I think, uh, and also its potential. So I think we have to start thinking in this century about kind of how do you, you know, like there's a lot of talk about kind of uh, decolonializing the museum, decolonializing the uh, university. I think in architecture, we also have to think about de de patriarch 
democratization, it's an impossible word, of our profession, you know, like what would that look like? Um, so to start with education, I think, feel like the curriculums should have more discussion uh, about gender, about race, about class, about ableism, um, just like we talk about uh, sustainability. Um, uh, we should talk about kind of inclusion. Um, and, you know, like panels of all men is just not an option anymore. It's really for me, I, it's too boring. Uh, even like uh, something like the Rotterdam Biennale, I see like five white guys. I'm like, sorry, it's whatever. I'm just not interested, you know? Like I, maybe I'll check out one thing, but it's, I know it's not going to be in a way, not to discredit what they do, but I'm sure they're going to miss some perspective on things that I find interesting. Um, so like I was saying, architecture is also shrinking as a profession. So if we don't do this, um, we're also going to lose people to every other creative industry out there. You know, like there's so many smart, talented people that can do other things. Um, and again, I also feel that in education, you know, like we teach students that overwork is kind of or too much work, late night. That is, you know, the corner store stone of architectural excellence. Um, and I think, you know, education should project the ideals of a practice, you know, not its worst tendencies in a way. Um, yeah, so, and I feel that's a really a point that also is very much linked to how women leave the profession at a certain point. So, uh, for who are we designing? That was, I think, the second question, you know, like, who are these kind of standardized, undefined people that we call users sometimes. Um, you know, as a, as a basis, you know, architect, architecture is a, is a practice that interprets, that translates our culture. Uh, it's it's a social, it's a uh, historical context. So that is what we do. Um, it's also connected to how people use their imagination about space, you know. So how can this practice kind of be all of this uh, when it doesn't accommodate uh, the diversity of narratives and experiences that we have. Uh, so this is, I'm working on this idea, um, and it's, I call it the multiplicity of other. And for me, it just represents kind of, you know, an action, the, my, what is happening, who is there, where we're at at this moment. Um, like I said, it's, it's a multiplicity is kind of a whole, you know, of things. It's a kind of diverse unit as kind of a philosophical concept um but for me it represents kind of the actual majority now you know like we can talk about white men and profession and the problem but they're not actually a majority you know the majority of people are definitely an intersection of all this other of oh, zero they're, they're female they might be gay they might be poor you know like upper class middle class we don't know um, so it's really about kind of who who are who is this majority of other people that are inhabiting our buildings, our streets, um, and I think they re this concept really it it represents this kind of intersectional urban uh, life. So I'm just trying to say that this kind of singular male dimension that we know in architecture is really not a dominant majority. 
you know, by which other groups are kind of uh, subjected or or thought of as a minority. You know, like this is this is the actuality out there. There's 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 this vast reality of otherness. Um, so I think at a time where a lot of our cities are becoming more universal, you know, everything starts to look like like the same, kind of the same glass buildings and the same hipster coffee shop, you know. At that now that we're seeing this more universal thing popping up, like I think we need more specificness, you know, based on individuals and not kind of a generic group identity. And this is where I feel that intersectional feminism comes in, you know. Um, uh, and I think it will help us to kind of become more diverse as practitioners, more diverse in how we think. Um, and also it will enable us, I think, to kind of so solve, you know, 21st century problems uh, instead of kind of that we're trying to solve 21st century problems with 21st century tools. Um, yeah, so... I think we kind of have to start thinking like what have be, what have we been taught you know we have to think differently than the modernist tradition you know I, I feel uh, identity and culture were never really a concern for the modernist you know like uh, like Mies uh, he saw architecture more as a materialization of you know this society that was transforming and then into the form of a building um, and then when we had Team X, you know, they did have some kind of architecture that was based on kind of ideas of community identity. But again, you know, this promise of being more specific socially and culturally, uh, well, it, it, I think it remained very paternalistic, you know, and kind of patriarchal. Um, so I found this other report that I, that I, I to kind of say what I, what I feel is that... Um, and the report said that socially diverse groups are more innovative than homogenous groups, right? Uh, and it's not only because they have different perspectives, but it's also because it takes longer to find consensus. You know, so that means that we have to then, when we become more homogenous, uh, heterogeneous, we have to kind of figure out what's right, what's wrong, like, oh, but how do you see that? Um, so I think, you know, like diversity runs much deeper than just demographics. You know, it's not only about race or age or gender. It's also about kind of how we as individuals understand um, and process information. Um, and so what the research also found is that people gravitate towards people who think like them. Um, who think in similar ways, you know. And so that is a very natural thing to do. Um, but it also leads to a bias um, and, and to kind of less cognitive diversity. I think that as designers, that's, a, that's an issue. Um, so, well, intersectional feminists, just a small impression. Uh, so like I said, it's not only about feminism. It's not only about gender. Um, I think we're at the point where we understand that it's about many different layers of identity and that brings with this many different layers of social issues, of power structures that we have to relate to, uh, that we have to work together. So it's not only about patriarchy it's about or sexism, it's also about racism. 
Um, and it's, it's a, coin, uh, a term that was coined by uh, Kimberly Crenshaw. She's a professor, and she really brought this idea of intersecting identities um, to feminist theory. So it's kind of an analytical framework um, to identify how systems of power impact um, people who are marginalized. Uh, but it has taken on, taken on a life of its own, and I think that's um, uh, good. Um, and I would like, I mean, what I would like to see is really that we would have a chair uh, or, 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 or incubate. We need incubators. We need, uh, you know, like chairs. We need studios that really talk about kind of this idea of intersectionality. I think it's also very much connected to interdisciplinary work. You know, like, um, if you want to engage this, you cannot only do it in one way. You will have to find many different spatial ways to, to deal with it. Maybe it's writing, maybe it's a temporary thing, maybe it's, it's a strategy. Like, it can be, it, it is interdisciplinary. You need dancers, I don't know, you know, like, it's, it's going to be different than what we're doing. Um, so, for example, I think, uh, you know, like a woman's initiative like this is, is really integral to kind of promote these kinds of issues of diversity uh, and, and, and advancement of women within the profession. So I, I was super happy to get the invitation. I was like, yes, let's do this. No, that's why. Like, I'm super happy that there are men here because yeah. that's really the point, you know. Like, we, 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 you can't solve it by, by ourselves, you know, and it's not about that. Oh. Funny enough, yeah. we started, yeah, sorry for yeah, yeah. we started this initiative with only women. Yeah. And then we concluded at the end of the first session that it wasn't right. Yeah, we yeah. It only with women. Yeah. So also, hooray for the, the guys. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I understand that there can, you know, like maybe the first session is you have to vent, you have to see where everyone's at, you know, like, okay. But then it's something like, yeah, we can't deal with this by ourselves. We need to do it all together and reprogram. We all have to reprogram, you know. Uh, so for me, it means that kind of embracing this kind of thought on intersectionality is an opportunity to really reshape our industry, you know, and to think about diversity kind of beyond this male-female binary thing, you know. Like, um, and, uh, well, this is just an example. It's not the right picture, but I, I just like that there were a lot of women on the street. But... <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't know, some of you heard about Vienna. They have this whole gender mainstreaming uh, initiative in their urban planning department. So they did research. Okay, I'll explain. They did research on um, who uses public space and how and uh, the public transport system. So it turned out that the men, uh, they use the, the public space really to get to work in the morning. But the women use the spaces way more diverse. They had to pick up the kids, you know, like do all these other things. Um, so they really redesigned a lot of the pavements. You know, there were more ramps. Uh, they improved a lot of the public transit services. Um, they widened the sidewalks um, to accommodate wheelchairs. Uh, they improved the street lighting. So really trying to see how the public space works for women and the lives of women. And I thought that was just like, it's such a nice, not nice, it's such an essential thing to do, you know. And I love that they call it gender mainstream, also not be kind of apologetic about it. Like, this is what we're doing, you know. Like, we're trying to make the city more usable for women, for people in wheelchairs. So it's just a, a nice example. I mean, 
I quickly, I'm just going to talk about how I kind of try to deal with these issues in my own work, you know, issues of representation, of otherness, um, other vernaculars. Of course, it's kind of a, a thing that I try to do through writing and theory. Um, but I think for me, you know, the freedom for regular people to have a spatial presence is really something I find important. Of course, there are, there's work for clients, but I feel that, you know, in the autonomous sphere of exhibitions or kind of more the art spaces there, I have an opportunity to kind of comment on it and address these uh, issues. And, and as I've also been um, educated in this modernist tradition. So for me, my aim is to also uh, consciously kind of reevaluate, you know, what I've learned and see how it adapts to now. Uh, and the now, I, for me, is very much female, other uh, people of color, LGBTQI, intersectional, uh, etc. Um, so this is, uh, for instance, an installation that we made. It's called The City of the Sun. And, um, um, well, it kind of, we tried to just make something that was spatially or architecturally really different, you know, that you would think, like, who is this for? Like, who would be in this kind of space it's based on like Rotterdam and 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 the the really the inner city of Rotterdam where there's so many different colors and shops and people and languages and uh, well this is the inside you know and people are just jumping through the hoops and kind of like oh, outer space um, so we were kind of figuring out how we can use kind of other visual or architectural form language um, and then this is another pavilion design we made for the uh, storefront for art and architecture in New York. Um, so we were asked to kind of uh, take three neighborhoods in Brooklyn, Brownstow, uh, um, sorry, Brownsville, East New York, and Canarsie, which are basically the only three neighborhoods in Brooklyn that are not gentrifying because they have a lot of like project housing. So there's very little, you know, like Brooklyn, of course, has this renaissance, there's new buildings going up, but this is kind of an area where there's really no architectural representation of the people and their culture who live there. So we uh, made like an open air gathering space as a design, and it was really based on kind of the street basketball courts that were there, the murals, the sunsets at Canarsie Park, and... Um, yeah, kind of finding a way to relate form and representation to space. Uh, this is a design we made this year for uh, for uh, the Dutch Pavilion, for the Art Biennale. Uh, and it was made for Jacqueline de Jong. She's an artist. Um, she was the only member of the SE, uh, the Situationist International, you know. Um, um, and... She was totally written out of the canon, basically. And now her work is re-emerging. She, she made, like, this amazing magazines with all these crazy labyrinths. So we kind of took, like, the idea of the labyrinth and made this kind of really female, like, really intense kind of space that would be inserted into the pavilion by Rietveld, which is, of course, very clean and rational, and to really create other spaces by kind of having to move through this labyrinth. Um... So I think it's also always good to kind of end with solutions. You know, um, I think equal representation is kind of meaningless if the women at the table um, are not considered to be taken seriously. Um, so I, I really feel we don't need 
per se. We need more women at the table, but we don't need more women at the table if they don't have any agency, you know, if they can't talk. Um, so another thing is, I think we, as officers, they, we rely kind of on this culture of overwork uh, and kind of, you know, like we have all these competitions that are uh, kind of underpaid, low fees, accelerated schedules, you know, like all of these changes, I, I feel, um, are, are really also undercutting um, the work of women, you know, uh, especially if you want to have like a, a family life or something. Um, I think we have to kind of hold public works accountable. Uh, you know, like urban design really shapes our culture, uh, how we relate to each other. Um, men and women use different cities differently. Um, so I think we're at a point where men dominate the, the discussion about public space. So I feel like uh, we should add more voices to civic architecture. Uh, there should be, cities should be encouraged to, you know, um, how do you say, have more public works by women-owned or minority-owned offices. Um, but I think in general, it's always good if people, if you can take it to, yeah, it's my last point. Oh, no, yeah. no, because more people have meetings. No, I have, a, it's my last, last sentence. <laughs> it's my last sentence. So it's good that I can emphasize it. I think like each and every person, uh, I think, should ask themselves, you know, like, do I build up the women or other people uh, I've worked with? Do I restrict them or do I let them thrive? You know, am I tending my garden well or am I actually a weed? Um, and I, so that's why I think, I hope that this lecture, you know, this idea of kind of intersectional feminism, um, yeah, can just can help kind of uh, bring us back to this really positive and like optimistic place that architecture um, is. Yeah, that was it. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And that's all for this special edition podcast on gender and design. To sign off, be sure to check out the finest work on FRI.com to keep on top of their most recent designs. In the meantime, be sure to like and subscribe to UNS Talks on iTunes, SoundCloud, Podbean or your preferred podcast provider. Until next time. <laughs>